I acknowledged that this podcast is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations, where I am lucky to work, live and play. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Everything Economics. I'm your host, Talia Murdoch, and over the next four episodes, we'll be discussing all things healthcare. In this episode in particular, I'm going to give an introduction to healthcare, what it is, how it gets funded, and the basic differences between private and public care based on how money flows through each system. In the rest of this series, I'll be looking at what system is more efficient, what it means to have a two-tiered system, and what happens when folks can't afford this basic human right. So let's get started. Healthcare is defined as the organised provision of medical care to individuals or a community. I think we all know what medical care is. This could be going to hospital for surgery, visiting your family doctor, seeking treatment from a physiotherapist, attending speech pathology, and even participating in community-based health programs. Healthcare is, and will probably always be, a highly complex system. It is regularly changing as new medicines and procedures make their way to market. It is funded through a number of different streams and therefore is politicised. People need different care based on where they live, their age, their gender, genetics, access to healthy food. And we have a limited number of people who are actually qualified to deliver the care, resulting in various referrals, recommendations, diagnostics, wait lists, post-care plans. The list goes on and on. To you... You may think of medical care in your own world, which is perfectly normal and reasonable. But as a system, healthcare is a big moving beast that I believe is best viewed as a human right. In fact, Article 25 of the UN Declaration of Human Rights classifies healthcare as a human right such that, one, everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself or his family, including food, clothing, housing and medical care, and necessary social services, and the right to security in the event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood, old age, or other lack of livelihood in circumstances beyond his control. And two, motherhood and childhood are entitled to special care and assistance. All children, whether born in or out of wedlock, shall enjoy the same protection. So what exactly does this big beast of a system look like, and how is it funded? How does money move through the healthcare system to pay for the delivery of care? And how is this different for public and private systems? I have linked a flowchart I created for this episode in the show notes that can also be found on cavegoblins.com, which I will explain now. Please keep in mind that this is a very simple overview of the two systems. There are a number of other interactions that happen between government bodies, non-profit providers, private doctors, health businesses, and more that are not detailed here. These will also vary from country to country, from region to region, so think of this as a general overview that could be applied to almost any system and lay it on top of as needed. Let's start with a public system. In its most simple form, a public system would see that any resident in a country could see any doctor, be referred to any specialist, and get any care they needed with no out-of-pocket costs. The price paid by patients would be bundled into their annual taxes. Some countries will require that people with higher incomes pay a certain premium or co-payment to the government funder upon receiving care, 
But for the sake of this explanation, let's just imagine that no such charges exist. Under this model, individuals and businesses pay taxes to the federal government. The government takes taxes and other forms of revenue and distributes this across various departments or ministries, depending on where you live, according to the needs of the population and their political mandate. As healthcare is a human right and something that the vast majority of the world would agree should be provided publicly via government funding, a pretty big portion of government revenue will be allocated to the health department, usually to both national and state departments alike. The health department will then converse with health authorities, which are smaller arms of the department who are responsible for delivering healthcare in their regions, who take those resources and distribute them across all of their hospitals, primary care providers and health programs. In Commonwealth countries, I at least know for sure, the amounts of funds distributed to the health authority and then the provider is split up into two key funding pools. Activity-based funding, known as ABF, because government loves acronyms, and block funding, or non-ABF. ABF is exactly what it sounds like, funding based on the amount of activity undertaken by a hospital and where relevant primary provider. This applies to care where the resources consumed delivering that care is easy to measure. For example, if someone goes into hospital for a broken arm, it is very well understood how many doctor's hours, nurse hours, bandages, casts, x-rays, rehab hours, etc. will be needed to fix the broken arm. Health authorities are able to forecast how much activity they believe they will need to deliver each year and request that level of funding. Non-ABF in comparison is anything that isn't so easily measured. This is generally outpatient visits, so just going into an appointment with a specialist to get multiple testing and checkups, and community-based programs for children, seniors and elders, mental health programs, nutrition and diet, and more, plus teaching and research in tertiary settings. Some of this can be activity and also not. It literally applies to everything that is not ABF, and what is and is not is defined by a larger, independent body that informs the government how much it should cost to deliver certain types of care based on the care itself and other economic factors like inflation and new medicines and procedures, for example. Now, to the side of this healthcare model are, of course, administration and maintenance costs that are paid for with the same tax dollars to make sure that hospitals are clean, staff get paid, labour standards are met, care standards are met, bandages are ordered and paid for, and virtually everything else it takes to keep a hospital, a clinic, a healthcare system up and running. Under a private model, funds flow a little differently. For this example, let's imagine that we are in a country that has no publicly available healthcare and operates 100% private. In this scenario, individuals will purchase a healthcare plan from a private insurance provider. They will then visit the hospital or clinic or enroll in a program and receive medical care. How the provider is paid for delivering the care can happen in two ways. One, the provider can invoice the insurer directly and the patient may have an out-of-pocket cost to pay depending on their plan. Or two, the patient pays for the care in full, then submits a claim to the insurer who will reimburse them either in full or at a portion, again depending on their plan. In some instances, and this is very important in the US, the patient also needs to consider what is called the network. The network is a list of healthcare providers who are in their area that are eligible for their insurance claims. 
In other words, they are restricted by a geographic boundary that says who they can and cannot visit and be reimbursed for under their plan. This not only takes away a lot of choice patients have about who they see for care, but can introduce complications when they move and lead to excessive out-of-pocket expenses if an out-of-network doctor is visited. Just like under a public model are the same administration and maintenance costs that are required to deliver healthcare. Plus some other things that don't exist in a public system, as a private system means that the insurance plan you buy is from a private corporation and the care you receive is being delivered by a private business. This means that there are shareholders who all get paid as the companies make profits, pharmaceutical companies who recommend and sell drugs based on potential profit margins, CEOs with pretty big salaries, plus a board of directors that the company is responsible for answering on things like profits and growth. A private healthcare system will operate like a private company. There are business metrics and the bottom line will always be their main priority, even if the doctor at the end of the line really cares only about delivering the best possible care to their patients. The main difference I want to highlight here is that under a public system, all dollars spent in healthcare are allocated to the delivery of care. By comparison, under a private system, insurance companies, hospitals and clinics alike are driven by making profits for their board and their shareholders. If we now consider a two-tiered system like in Australia, where both private and public healthcare is available, all this really means is that money is diverted out of the public system and into the private system that only benefits those who can firstly afford it and those who are invested in the system, like the shareholders and big pharmaceutical companies. The argument for advocates for having a two-tiered system is that it eases pressure off of the public system. But really, all this does is make the public system worse. Think of the resources that go into care. Doctors and nurses and other providers are limited and can only be in one place at one time, and the money that individuals and families are spending in the private system via their insurance premiums and out-of-pocket expenses could alternatively be being spent in the public system to provide equal care to everyone who needs it. In Australia, if you have your own private health coverage, you get tax offsets, which means there is exactly that much less tax revenue available to government for the delivery of public health care to people who can't afford their own private plan. In a nutshell, healthcare becomes less equitable and less efficient because private systems have a plethora of conflicting interests that do not focus on the delivery of healthcare itself. Through the rest of this series, I will discuss more about the debate between private and public health systems, health spending, which ones actually measure up to be the most efficient, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next instalment. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and have a better overview of the different healthcare systems in their most basic form. If you did enjoy this episode and want to support the show, please rate and review on iTunes. I would love to hear from you. Or head on over to patreon.com slash cavegoblins where you can support the network and get access to more weekly content. You can find me on Twitter at Talia Murdoch and follow the show at Every Economics for articles and threads based on the latest episodes. Thank you again for listening. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST.
This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.